Then my God put it into my mind to assemble the nobles and the officials and the people of, to be enrolled by genealogy. And I found the book of genealogy of those who were the first to come back. And I found the following written in it. And we're going to stop right there because if you know anything about Nehemiah 7, it is nothing but a list of names and I'm not reading them. <laughs> Let's say a prayer. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for our time together. The beautiful moment that we all witnessed just a few minutes ago of seeing Kaysen uh, put on you in baptism. And, uh, Lord, the beauty of seeing son and father and grandfather all up on stage. Lord, we pray in this moment that you open our hearts and our minds uh, to your spirit. And may your spirit work in us, form in us, and make us more into your image. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. All right, so, ha, ah, there we go. Take a look at the screen. Angela Bentley found this article a couple of weeks ago in some old church paperwork. This is why I asked for it on Monday, Angela. Yeah. Um, it's an article from the Christian Journal. Now, I don't know what that is, but it's an article from the Christian Journal, and it says, Groundbreaking in Grapevine, Texas. Now, the picture may be a little bit hard to, to see, and I, and I get it. We were trying to do the best we could, but... You see the lady, there's an older lady holding the shovel to break the ground. You see her? Now, if you know Donna English or Angela Bentley or Lori Halford, this is Miss Julia Royal. And yes, she is 104 years old, right Donna? At this time. This is, Miss Royal is um, the mother grandmother and great-grandmother, right, of the Bentleys, the Englishes, and the Hallfords, 104 years old. Uh, like, just wrap your heads around that, right? 104 years old. Uh, and when, when Angela showed me this picture, I, and I couldn't help but say, my goodness, the genes run real strong in your family. I mean, she... And the lady standing behind uh, Miss Royal is Opal Danielson. And if you've been here, you knew her as Popal. And she lived to 101? 101. So when I saw the picture and Angela showed me this picture, I was like, you're going to be doing my funeral. Hey. <laughs> like, you, I mean, uh, like, they're, they're all sitting back here. They're going to be around forever. All three of them. Like, but, but I saw it, and I couldn't help but when she sent it, when, when she showed it to me, and then as we're going to see in Nehemiah 7, I couldn't help but see the beauty of the picture of a, a mother and a daughter in this picture breaking ground in somewhere around 1981. And then to have Angela, you know, find the article and give it to me, and this is her great-grandmother, right? And, and, and all of this that, that goes on. And this morning, we got to celebrate with the Clark family, the baptism of Cason. And we witnessed a father baptizing a son. But we also witnessed a grandfather praying over the grandson. I mean, in this article, we read history. And today, we witnessed history. It's this beautiful moment of past meeting present. A reminder to all of us in here that we are here for a reason. We are here because someone or someones poured into us. We are here because, other, because of others before us. And like we read this article on the screen, it reminds us that others came before us. 
in our text today, much like the text of Nehemiah 3, which is a list of names, a, a list of families, a, a genealogy from those who returned first from Babylon. Now, I know some of you in here, because you've told me, love genealogies. Uh, if you're Richard Wilson, you can tell me, like, back to his, I don't know, great grandtime times 12, you know. Uh, you know, and, and he always has this scary thing when someone says they're from New Boston. He's like, well, I'm probably related to him. And the scary thing is, he probably is. But, but you can, some of you in here can tell me your ancestral history for multiple generations. And, I mean, even my family, the Franz family, has a, has a bound book that takes my family's history all the way back to the town, to the border towns of Germany and Poland prior to them coming before World War II. And the genealogy business today, get this, is a $3.5 billion industry, and it's expected to triple in the next 10 years. Everybody is interested in their history. This knowing, or maybe a better way to put it, is this remembering is important. It's, it's important to you because it tells you where you came from and who you came from. There is something to that. There is something to understanding our histories. There's something to learning from our histories. But we can also find encouragement through our history. The restoration of Jerusalem, as we've been reading about Nehemiah, is almost complete, as Nehemiah tells us in the first part of chapter 7. Nehemiah 7.1 tells us that, that now when the walls have been built and I had set up the doors, the gatekeepers and the singers and the Levites have been appointed. Nehemiah tells us that the physical walls and the buildings and the gates are all but complete for the city. Jerusalem is starting to take shape. The, the physical shape of Jerusalem is, is getting back to what it used to be. The temple, as we read in Ezra, tells us that, that the temple was built, the second temple, and it's been constructed. And now the walls of Jerusalem are back. And you get a sense that Jerusalem, as far as a physical city, is looking like its old self again. And from the outside, Jerusalem is becoming what the opposition didn't want. Remember, we've been reading about opposition for the last couple of weeks. It's becoming what the op opposition didn't want. It's becoming a city again, a place of hope, a place of restoration. And for the returning exiles, a place of pride. Well, almost a place of pride. Almost a place of hope and almost a place of restoration. I mean, yes, the people returning from exile. And we can read this same list in Nehemiah 7 in Ezra 2 as well. They're almost identical with a few name changes. We, we read that this, this list of people have sacrificed a lot to bring Israel, Jerusalem back to the place it is now. They've rebuilt the structures of Jer Jerusalem. And I, I have this image of them looking around as it's finished, right, as the gates are being set. And I, I have this image of them looking around with, with hands in their pockets and admiring what they've done. Admiring, remember, their portion of the city that, that they have restored. But what we read in Nehemiah 7 is the main task isn't done. It, it's not quite complete. They have a city and they have a wall. But here's the thing. A, thing. a city is great. And it's great that the wall is complete. But a city is not a city if it doesn't have people. Right? All it becomes is a ghost town. 
A city is not a city if it doesn't have its people. And remember, many of those who have been working on the city, as we read, has been coming from neighboring villages and from around Jerusalem. And sure, some lived in the city and, and did the best they could, and, but also some lived in the suburbs. You know, some lived outside in the suburbs of Jerusalem, and, and they've come and helped with the project, but now that the project is done, they've admired their work, it's time for them to get back to their families. It's time for them to get back to doing what they were doing. Remember the whole issue a few weeks ago, interest payments, right? They were having to borrow from others because they had stopped doing their family business to come help with this business, well, you can imagine that they're thinking, i got to get back, start my family business, because I'm really tired of owing anybody anything. And again, Nehemiah 7 reminds us that, that Nehemiah is not just in the restoration business of the city, but in the restoration business of the people. Nehemiah looks around and in verse 4 says, we still got a problem. The city was wide and large. But notice what he says, the people within it were few, and no houses had been built. Theologian uh, Hannah Harrington says it this way about what Nehemiah is up to in this. She says, she says Nehemiah recognizes something. She, he recognizes that the final strength of a city is not built on its stones, but built on its people. Strength is not in the walls of Jerusalem, but its people. And here's another thing to remember. God is not about the four walls of a place. And that, that can be easy to forget sometimes, that we think that God is just about a four walls of a place. Like God is in the temple, right, only, or God is for us just in the church. But here's the thing. We get hints throughout the prophets that God is not tied to the borders of a nation or the walls of a temple. This was a big problem for the people of Israel. They, they had this idea that God was like limited to the, the border of a nation or limited to just the walls of a temple. And I'm not saying any of that's not important, but I am saying that God's a bit bigger than that kind of space. And maybe, just maybe, that God is about the people remembering that covenantal bond between God and them. In all the hubbub of building a physical structure, the people could forget that there is a spiritual bond to Yahweh as well. That it's more than just building the walls. And it's from this bond that worship and the practice of the people come from. It's from this covenantal bond that God has bound God's self to Abraham. Remember that one moment? And that one moment in, in Genesis in which God does that? That that, that moment flows throughout all of history, that throw, flows through Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and so on and so forth. That it's more than just that God was doing this before there were temple walls. That God was doing this before there were walls in Jerusalem. But all of this can be easily forgotten. It can be easily, it can be easily forgotten because we get caught up in all the other things in life. Because let's be honest, we are all forgetful people in here. I mean, we are. I have this tendency, and maybe you've done it too with my kids. I will call my kids my dog's name. I do it. I'll, I'll look at Isaac, and I'll say Hank. Right? I'll look at Hank, and I'll say Isaac. You know, I'll look at Laurie and say Anna Lee. I mean, we are forgetful people. It just happens, right? And this is who we are. We are and can be also selfish people. It's all about what we want. It's all about what we can get. And we forget stuff all the time. So Nehemiah does what? He brings all the people together 
in verse 5 that we just read. He brings all the people together in what is called by one theologian a covenantal convocation. The city needs to be repopulated, yes, but the people need to remember where they came from. The people need to remember what all of this is about. These are, as Nehemiah reads, the families that have been called back from the exile. And we know about exile, right? It's a place and a situation that has defined a generation of people. Exile is basically the only thing these people have known for, the long, for a generation plus of time. They've known Persia. They've known Babylon. But they haven't known Jerusalem. They've known Persia. They've known the culture of Babylon. But they don't know the ways of God. Why? Because exile is what has defined them. And now as Nehemiah brings them together in verse 5, they hear who they really are. They are reminded that God has brought them out of exile and has brought them home. And now by hearing the names of all the families that have, been, that have come home, families that were once in Babylon, families that have felt the sting of loss and the sting of exile, Nehemiah now lists their names. Nehemiah now speaks their names from the book of record and reminds those in the crowd, but also us reading today, of the sacrifices made throughout history for them to return back to Jerusalem. The sacrifices they made to leave, the sacrifices they made to build. When the genealogy is read to the people, they are called to remember, but they are also being called to remember back into their history. The people are invited into the story that is the people of God. These families that are hearing as they're being connected, as they look over to the other families, as they look over to the grandkid of the granddad who, who had came back from exile back in the time before Ezra, right? When they're building the temple and King Cyrus made the decree. They look over and see them and now all of a sudden they're being not just remembered but remembered into their history. The people are invited into the story of God. They find that they are a part of a story. And that they are here for a reason. That God has sustained them to this point. From exile to a repurposed, remembered, and recreated people. The people are now being reformed out of their history. Fred Rogers in 1987, sorry, 1997 at the Emmy Awards, he did something really interesting. He was receiving the Lifetime Achievement Award. And Mr. Rogers gave this selfish speech about loving one another and remembering those we lost, right? So he's having this conversation, and during the speech, Mr. Rogers asked a crowd, an Emmy crowd. So a crowd made up of A-list celebrities and dignitaries, all the famous people of the world, to participate in a remembering exercise. And this is what he said. So many people have helped me to come here to this night. Some of you are here. Some are far away, and some are even in heaven. All of us have special ones who loved us into being. Would you take just a second, take a, 10 seconds along with me to think of people who have helped you become who you are, those who cared about you and wanted what was best for you. 10 seconds. I'll watch the time. Whomever you've been thinking about, how pleased they must be to know the difference you feel they have made. Ten seconds. And it was just, if you've seen the video, it's like the pin could drop inside a room of celebrities. And you, the, the, the video pans out, the cameras pan out, and you see tears start filling up in people's eyes. To, the, 
to remember the people, I like what he says here, who have brought you and loved you into being. The world is good at making us forget about this stuff, making us forget about those around us. There's nothing easy about life. In our attention span, well, let's be honest, it's short. And we get caught up in everything that goes on in life. And we find ourselves getting caught up in the next best thing or moving from one thing to the next or just never stopping. And before we know it, our story is lost. We forget why we're here. We lose ourselves in all the noise. And here in this moment in Nehemiah 7 where the people are called to just stop, listen, and remember And in so doing, they are reminded that at some point, they are all part of God's one. That we are God's one. You and I started somewhere. Our story of why we are here today started somewhere. And as we are reminded in the beginning, our story started somewhere with others. All of us at some time need to be reminded that we stand on the shoulders of others. That it's no accident that you're here today. It's no accident that we're here together. That you and I are someone's one long ago. You and I were poured into by others. And it's why we are here. Those who helped you and talked to you and were there next to you. We're reminded that we stand on their shoulders. That we all stand on the shoulders. Every one of us in here stand on, stand on the shoulders of the one who showed us what it means to pour into the next one. The one who gave himself for us, who embodied selfless love, who embodied unconditional grace, and who embodied unending mercies. We're called today to remember that we're here because of one. And when we remember that story, we become remembered back into the story of who we are. If you have any needs this morning, come now as we stand and as we sing.